Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you on a Wednesday. As we get set for another Toronto Raptors game coming tonight, it's been a busy schedule for the Raptors of late. But it's also been a very good schedule for the Raptors of late as Toronto rolls into to, uh, tonight's tilt against the Milwaukee Bucks, having won three in a row, three at home over the Clippers, over the Knicks, and then last night getting the job done as well against the San Antonio Spurs, three decisive victories in front of basically no fans other than a handful of friends and family in attendance. And uh, as we noted on our broadcast last night, Jonesy, and we talked about it a little bit on our post-game vlog as well, at least uh, a couple of people trying to get the uh, hashtag going, and I'm, I'm already now forgetting the hashtag. I believe it was uh, no sold tickets winning streak <laughs> so, or, or no fans in stands winning streak. Either way, however you want to put it, the Toronto Raptors are certainly stepping up to the adversity they are facing and another decisive win. I know you want to touch on that in a minute, but before we get the soapbox out for you and get ready for you to step on up, the individual performances, the team performance that we saw last night in this latest win over San Antonio. Again, Fred Van Vliet, huge night. Pascal Siakam continuing to play well, especially in terms of his rebounding. Scotty Barnes, who looks to be not 100%, a little bit of a Hitch in his step with that right knee, uh, you know, flirting with a triple-double last night. Um, just a lot to like with what you saw uh, if you were watching or tuning in on our broadcast on the radio uh, last night. Yeah, I thought they did a really good job, um, you know, and, and to the point about generating their own energy. I'll get to that in a second, but lots of really good performances. Um, Fred, uh, <laughs> Fred's getting some help. Uh, you know, he was always the leader, a guy that uh, Toronto looked to to be the, the stabilizer, steady Freddy, as, as we call him. But uh, he's getting help now, and you're seeing him off the ball. And I think what Nick is doing with other lineups to, uh, to give Fred a rest, uh, to get him off the ball so he can – I mean, it's, it's really hard to be the guy that brings the ball up um, – gets everybody involved, and then at the same time, find your own scoring. It's really hard. I mean, some guys, oh, yeah, I'm the point guard in name only. They come down, they dribble it 25 times, and nobody else touches it, and they shoot it. Well, i got to look for my scoring. Well, that's not how you do it. Uh, all, all of those things that make the position difficult. You know, is that guy going good? Do I get him going? Do I keep him going? I need to get this guy going. I need to keep my big guy happy because he's he's blocking shots. He's he's rebounding. He's running the floor. I, I got to get him a touch here and there. All of those things get into your head, and you know it, it it's hard to do. I, I I still look at guys like you know the greats, Chris Paul, Steve Nash. Uh, you know, Kyle Lowry did that for Toronto. Fred does it where you. You know, you get other people involved, and then when you need scoring, all right, maybe I'll, this is time for me to get some of mine because we don't have any. Um, just it, it's a great balance. I think Fred's doing a terrific job. And, uh, you know, if if the team can win enough games, I mean, they're climbing up the standings now after winning three in a row, uh, you're going to see Fred, you know, you, uh, you're going to see Fred with some all-star consideration, as with Pascal, too. I mean, and they're not going to get voted in. This is something I talked about with uh, somebody last night. Uh, they're not going to get voted in. They're not going to win the popularity contest. 
rarely playing in Toronto unless you're a Vince Carter or, you know, a Kyle Lowry and the fans are, are, are giving you the support in Toronto and other fans around the league are doing it too. But he's going to get in um, the more noble way in my eyes, and that's having the coaches pick you. To me, it's more that's better than the popularity contest and the fan voting unless you're an obvious, you know. Uh, but, um, yeah, I thought great performances, Eric, especially for, by Fred and, and Pascal. Okay, let me jump in there then. Let's hear from Nick Nurse on that very topic, talking about the credentials, the possibility, uh, I think the legitimacy of Fred Van Vliet being named to the All-Star game this year. Again, Raptors head coach Nick Nurse. Well, I mean, again, I think he's got to be in the uh, conversation um, but I also, again, say the same thing. It's, it's, we gotta, we gotta climb the standing some. I just, I just think that's part of it. Right. I just think it's part of it. Um, and if we do, um, then, then he certainly will deserve it. He's been out there most of the games this year. Right. That's one, that's another big thing. There's been a lot of guys missing, you know, big chunks of time, um, on a lot of teams. Um, but, you know, I think he's he's right in there. You know, he, he you know we know what he brings. He brings you know winning and leadership, and he's scoring and great defender. You know, so he's 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 got to be in consideration. So Nick Nurse pretty much in lockstep with what you were saying as well, Jonesy, in terms of climbing the standings, but then just looking at all the intangibles, all the credentials that he brings. And, and hey, the Raptors are climbing the standings a little bit. It was just a couple of games ago. They were down in the 12th spot. Now they're in the ninth seed. They're at 500. Uh, they're even with the Charlotte Hornets in terms of the 500 record. Uh, they're, you know, four games um, uh, behind them in terms of games played. Charlotte at 19 and 19, the Raptors at 17 and 17. But I, I'll say to you, I, and I, I, I don't disagree with you or Nick Nurse. I echo everything you've said, and I think record absolutely matters. But I'm going to go back to the point I made to you yesterday, and with no disrespect intended to other guys, I look at the teams in the Eastern Conference, and I think about standout point guards, point guards that are making truly that much of a difference to their respective teams, more so than Fred Van Vliet, even on a 500 team. I think that kind of ticks uh, at least a box in a column for Fred. That, hey, even when the dust settles, if the Raptors end up being a couple of games below 500 as opposed to a couple above 500, I think the fact that his impact, his value to his team may be even more valuable than a point guard that's the third, fourth, fifth option on a team that's got a record above 500 that's in a playoff spot, etc. So I think that there's still value in what he's doing. And I'm not saying that you or Nick Nurse is implying there isn't. I think there's still value in what Fred is doing and what he is and how well he plays, no matter what the record is. Now, maybe I'd say that differently if they were the 7-31 and 31 Orlando Magic. But if you're a team that's right around there, a couple up, a couple below, I'm not sure if that should make that much of a difference to the voters, especially when it's the coaches, because they know what type of player you really are and how bad or good your team may be if you were plucked off. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I hadn't heard Nick talk about that. It's, that's always just been my stance, Eric. I, I hearken back to the years when, um, you know, he's a Hall of Famer now. Chris Bosh was in Toronto and putting up great numbers and just playing his backside off. But the team was, and this was only when there were – Eight teams allowed before, long before the play-in and all that. Uh, 
I hearken back to that, and Chris is playing his backside off, but the team's 11th or they're 12th, and he's, you know, one of a handful of guys averaging 20 a game. Well, you know, the conventional wisdom says if you're, if you're that good, your team wouldn't be 10th. And it's, just, it's, my, it's the same with my argument for the MVP. You know, people are, you know, people are, are talking about uh, the MVP and, and, and they're, they're, they're looking at a guy like, you know, at least a couple weeks ago, you know, they're saying, oh, what about Jokic? Well, his team with eighth. Like, I mean, they're fifth now, so I can still think about it. But is he ahead of John Morant? Is he ahead of Donovan Mitchell, who we'd never consider? Is he ahead of Chris Paul? Like, no, because his team's behind them. And if he was that good, and I don't care who's around him, because even on a bad team, somebody puts up numbers. So you, you, you got you to gotta win. It's always been my stance. It's always about winning. You know, what, 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 uh, what do we default to always? You know, people talk about Jordan. Six trips to the finals, six wins, six times the best player. Like, it's, that's, that's hard to argue. And his team's winning. And his team's winning. So... I, I hear what you're saying, though, E, because the fact that the East is so close and they're they're in the mix and, and, and fighting like that and, you know, you take health and everything else into account. Um, you know, look, look at, uh, in terms of the winning, Eric, and not just wins and losses, Toronto has the sixth or seventh best point differential in the East. Like, they're right there with, you know, Boston, very close to Brooklyn. Um so that that's something that that I think you have to consider. You know, and and at the risk of you know beating the horse here, Jonesy, on the on the points, I look at the let's let's look even even the top. I mean, I guess I'd say top ten, but it would be maybe unfair to not even say top twelve because do you put Trey Young in the conversation? Well, his team's four games below five hundred and sitting in the twelfth spot at least as of right now. Voting doesn't end today. They could still go on a run and, and, and vault themselves back up there, but clearly he's one of the elite young point guards in the league. Darius Garland has played outstanding for Cleveland, especially since the absence of Colin Sexton. Is he an all star? He might be. He might be based on how he's played. But I'm not sure that I'm putting Lonzo Ball in there. Again, as well as the Bulls have played, I don't know that I'm sending three Bulls to the All-Star game in DeRozan, Levine, and Ball. There's not a point guard going from the Nets, in my opinion. There's not a point guard going from the Sixers. There's not a point guard going from the Wizards. There's not a point guard going from the Celtics. So then you start looking. Okay, Drew Holiday, sure, solid season. Kyle Lowry, Miami, okay. Garland, LaMelo, Fred Van Vliet. Like, that's it. That's it. I can't uh, again unless you want to throw Trey Young in the conversation. That's it. So well, uh, of those four, this. are you picking three? Like for sure, three are going right. You're gonna have you're gonna have a starter, a backup, and probably a depth guy. So you're getting at least three of those four. So somebody's gonna be left out. But I think Van Vliet's got as much of a case as anybody. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. And and you know what? When you mentioned the name Garland, hey man, his team's playing their backside off, and mm-hmm. he's a big mm-hmm. part of the fact that they are winning. So. He gets a nod, like he would. He would get serious. I mean, serious consideration because it is about the year. Uh, it is about what kind of a a year you're having. Um, I, uh, yeah, Lamelo, Fred, they 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 get consideration. Um, Milwaukee's winning, and I think sometimes coaches uh, tend to 
uh, lean towards, I don't know if experience is the right word, hash marks, a guy who's been an all-star before and looking at what he's doing and where his team is. So, you know, I, I think, you know, I think, uh, you know, a Drew Holiday would, would get some consideration with where Milwaukee is in the standing. So would Kyle Lowry. So it's, it, it's going to be, a, it's going to be, a, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a fight to get in there. And, and I'll say this, as for Trey Young, See Chris Bosh circa 10 minutes ago. Great yeah. numbers, playing great, but hey, man, you're 12th. And, and then measure that against the expectations, too. Dude, you were in the conference finals last year. What's going on? Uh, and I know it's because of his team, possibly, but um, I, don't know if he gets, I don't know if he gets a nod for me. Not, not right, not right w- without consideration of those other guys that are ahead of him and maybe having a better year and this is where maybe Trey Young's uh, I don't know if I want to say greatness this is where his 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 competency his 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 productivity gets him in trouble because he's doing what he's done in years past he is and people may get bored of that or say well yeah he's doing what he did last time and his team isn't playing as well and so that that would enter into it as well I don't disagree with you, Jonesy. I don't disagree with you at all. Uh, Again, the Atlanta Hawks uh, sitting in the 12th seed right now in the Eastern Conference, four games below 500 at 16 and 20. The Raptors off the victory last night over the San Antonio Spurs at 17 and 17. They're in the ninth spot right now. They jump ahead of the Boston Celtics, but they've got a tough, tough matchup tonight. The Raptors do on the back-to-back in Milwaukee against the Bucks. But again, let's circle back to where we started right off the top, the fact that the Raptors are in the midst of this three-game winning streak to get themselves back to 500 and doing it in an arena with no fans. Just to be clear, when I say no fans, there are some in the stands. They are friends and family of the players, just not only the Raptors, but also the opposing team. I think we've speculated. I don't know if we have the exact number, Jonesy, but somewhere maybe around 250, maybe 200 tickets available, roughly. By the time you factor in, because, again, it's supposed to be 1,000 people total. That's what the government mandated. So it wasn't 1,000 fans. It was 1,000 people. So by the time you put in... The players on both teams, the coaching staff on both teams, the support staff on both teams, and then you know the the, the game ops crew and the scoreboard folks and uh, media and broadcasters and some security and ushers, you start filling up those numbers, getting pretty close to that 1,000. So there are a handful of tickets available, none on sale, none to the public. They are being distributed to friends and family of the coaching staff and players of the Raptors, and then an allotment for the opposing team as well. In fact, last night, Jonesy, folks, literally, literally counted the fans in the stands because he was able to. And what would you say? 63, I believe, was the count midway through the third quarter. There were 63 people in the stands. We started with 51, and there were some late-arriving people. might have been the traffic, you know. (laughs) But that's the other thing, too. And you and I go to the arena, and we know – we know that you leave time, right? For a 7.30 game, you're uh, the traffic and people on the road and pregame duties and stuff. We, we you know, you, I know if I don't, if I don't leave uh, from where I am and get on the road at a certain point by like quarter to four, I'm done. Yeah. Quarter to four gets me there for a 7.30 game, uh, you know, sorry, uh, for a 7.30 day game, quarter to four gets me there around, yeah, 4:40. You know, got got you know, good time to 
watch guys warm up, kibitz with people, get info, get stories. You and I talk about what we want to do pregame, halftime, blah, 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 blah. Talk with our the producers and, and the staff. Now, like there's, like there's no traffic around the arena. You drive up and you can shoot a cannon through that area and there's nobody around because there's no fans. Parking, you, you whip in and out of parking. Uh, it's easy to get, uh, you, it's like ghost town. You walk on the concourse and it, what it feels like 30 minutes before the game when you go up to the one concession stand that's open for the media to get a meal. <laughs> when, when you walk, go walk the concourse, it's like you're at the game on a normal game four, three, four hours before. Yeah. A couple guys oh, yeah. working out and there's nobody in the arena and you're anticipating the buzz. And then you walk into the bowl and you look up. It's like, oh, yeah, the game starts in 15 minutes. <laughs> like there's, there's, no, there's nobody there. And it's uh, – uh, I, I tell you what the Raptors are doing, E, is very, very difficult winning without fans in the stands. Very difficult because that building gives energy. Opponents talk about what a tough place it is to play. And people might say, well, wh- what does that mean? Well, the fans impact the game. They give energy to, to the home team and some energy to the visiting team because you want to draw from that and, and shut them up and sit them down. But it's also there's also a, an intimidation piece for some of the visiting players who aren't experienced or, or, or don't play well uh, on the road, especially role players. The crowd noise impacts the coaching decisions on the other side. You know, Raptors reel off eight, eight, go on a, a an eight zero run, an eleven one run. The place is just the lid is lifting and the foundation is shaking. And the coach stands up. He's like, "Man, this place is. I got to call a timeout. I got to stop this." You know, I often use the phrase, "Push the button, stop the train." Like, the fans have impact on that. They have impact on the officials when there's. I don't care what they say. They're human. When there's a bad call and the fans get up with the, you know, ref, you blank, ref, you blank, and they, they, they start sarcastically cheering when the Raptors might get a call or, or Nick Nurse stands up and puts his hands up for a foul and all the fans start yelling. Those things impact the game. They impact the game. You know, a guy diving for a ball with the Raptors and saving it in bounds and the fans recognizing that. Those things impact the game. And Toronto's doing that right now with nobody. With 64 people in the stands, 63 last night, and like 34 of them were there to see Josh Primo and the Spurs. So it's it's really tough. And then tonight, they're going to go into Pfizer form, home of the defending champs, and it's going to be it's going to be rocking. The, the 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 atmosphere is different. People with no mask, they'll be yelling and screaming. It it'll be crazy in there. And now you're you're playing against that. So, what they are doing is really, really difficult. And and players know it. They look forward to coming home and playing in front of their fans, and getting the energy. And visitors come in and go, "Wow, it's a man. It's a tough place to play, Toronto." And 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 the Raptors are doing that at a huge disadvantage right now without anybody. All right. So before I weigh in with my two cents, which I have a feeling is going to be pretty much parroting what you just said. Let's hear from Fred Van Vliet on that very topic, playing without fans at Scotiabank Arena. 
right now no challenge at all. What are we? I think we're undefeated without the fans. So let's uh, let's just we just gonna keep it going. I don't have a great answer for you there. I'm not gonna dwell on that too much. Um, there's nothing we could do about it. I, I try not to worry about things I can't control. So um, go out there and try to get as many wins as we can. And uh, again, just keep building on the fact that that we're stringing something together here, and and we'll f- figure out the rest later down the line. But uh, sure, it's a challenge. Um, again, it's anytime you're dealing with something that's one out of 30 teams and we're the only team dealing with it is what it is but so far so good and we'll we'll welcome the fans back whenever they're allowed to now if i'm not mistaken he also did follow up later basically saying you know make no mistake we'd love to have them back in there uh justin champagne telling us on our post game show last night and and he was joking but serious Hey, man, I'm used to playing in front of no fans, so this is not a big deal to me. I'm, I'm used to having nobody in the stands for, for my games. Uh, so you've got to find that energy. Um, it is a disadvantage when you're one of only 30. And, and, and Jonesy, I'm not going to divert too much off of basketball. I've said it a couple of times this week. I'll say it again. I've, I've said it in my you know, personal life, let alone in, in professional settings here. I think what's happening in the States is not right, but I don't think what's happening here in Ontario, at least, is correct either. I think there's a middle ground somewhere. I think there's a happy medium. And whether that was 50% capacity, whether it was even 25% capacity, whether it was ma- – whatever it was, I just – I I think they're not taking it serious enough stateside, and I think there might have been a bit, a bit of an overreaction here as well. But that said, I have always been – whether you like it or not, folks, you don't have to like it. I've always been a guy that's better safe than sorry. Uh, so I've – been the, the the more cautious guy uh even to a fault and if it turns out that i'm ultimately wrong for being too cautious then so be it um so i i i feel for what the raptors are going through and i absolutely feel for uh what so many um employees are going through and businesses are going through uh and thus i hope that this is very brief and it is only a couple of weeks not only for businesses but for obviously kids today uh, many of whom are starting as of today online learning allegedly for only uh, a week and a half. I can imagine it's probably going to end up being a month or more uh, as that seems to be the case in this province. But uh, it certainly sets up a major disadvantage for the Raptors and they're thus far turning it into an advantage. But that's been at home. As you say, all right, now how do you react having not played in front of a crowd for over a week? How do you react not having played in front of 20,000 screaming folks, etc., and then flip it back on Friday and Sunday when you're back home and you're going through those highs and those lows? What's it going to be like in a couple of weeks when you're on another extended long road trip uh, and you're going in and out of buildings and in and out of markets and in and out of the, the rabbit atmosphere? Um, it's going to be a stiff test, to say the least. I mean, we talked the other day, January has basically a game every other day, 15 games in 31 days, and there's a five-game road trip coming up. In fact, there's a stretch where you've got seven out of nine at home, eight, or excuse me, on the road, eight out of 11 on the road to close out the month. So uh, I don't care who the opponents are. When you're on the road that much and you're playing in front of uh, uh, you know rabid fan bases that are coming down at you when you've got nothing like that on your home floor, that's going to be an even stiffer test. Yeah, it will be, and um, I, I give the Raptors a lot of credit. I, I really, really do. Um, I was talking with one Raptors staffer, uh, you know, non-uniform, non-playing personnel member yesterday, and I, I guess both of us just lamenting, uh, especially the championship year. It, 
will it ever go back, Eric, to the way we knew it before with, you know, uh, I'm not saying not a full arena, but there was an attitude too, a full arena and kind of carefree and, you know, bantering and, you know, you and I standing on, on the floor, you know, standing at, at center court talking with, I don't know, Anthony Parker from Orlando or, or you know, coaches, assistant coaches we know or scouts that we know about players. And it just, you know, people look at us when they and, – and the few broadcast teams that come into town because not every broadcast team crosses the border. And they come into town and they, you know, they they just say it's it's – same thing it's 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 never going to be the same i mean that what we had is i don't think it's ever coming back to the way it was and we we're going to have to make do with with what we have and then that's fine because we're still fortunate to be you know uh broadcasting games and in the arena we're we're, we're very lucky to have that but for the fans and everybody else and the interactions i just don't know if it'll ever come back to the way it was hey by the way I have to circle back to one thing you said. Maybe I should do this off the air, not on it, but I've already brought up the topic now. I'm already flapping my lips. Hopefully the boss isn't listening. Dan Tolman, where are you parking these days? Because the lot that I have parked at forever and a time, that was either 20 or $25, depending on the day. Last night, I guess, I guess the parking lots don't realize the Raptors are still playing because there's no fans, so they don't have the event rate. And usually I know. You, assume, I know. you assume that the evening rate is less. Because it's non-business hours, you're not there from nine to five, so it's evening rates, and it's you're at a game, but they don't even know there's a game. Okay, well it's going to be probably ten bucks then, fifteen bucks. Hey, uh, Dan, if you're listening, forty don't. bucks last night. I I put in my crap. I'm like, what the hell? Forty dollars? This is supposed to be twenty bucks. And I'm hitting the button. Of course, there's nobody working. I'm hitting the button. Oh, yo, where's the event rate parking? Forty dollars? What is happening here? There's nobody in this parking lot. Maybe that's why they're charging forty bucks because nobody. Maybe, in it. maybe. See, I, I, <laughs> Could I, be. I, I went the other way. E the the spot that I usually go to is like twenty five or thirty bucks, and last night it was eighteen. Well, now you're throwing so, me under the bus. No, now no. Dan's going. E, why aren't you parking where Jonesy's parking? All right, well, you got to text no, me no, there no, where no, you're no. parking because that's where I'll now, that's where I'll be on Friday night then. And 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 that that to boot. Um, like I said, there's no crowd. Like, like normally, it takes you drive to the arena and um, you get onto Lakeshore, and you're better off to get out of your car and walk. It's like it's like New York City rush hour, like at 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 five thirty in the afternoon. Like to move ten feet, it's like fifteen minutes. <laughs> and 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 yesterday, from where I approached the arena, I get off the ramp on the Gardner. And I, I felt like I was going into the pit as Lewis Hamilton. I went zooming down the ramp, and like I caught the green light, and I was like, "Oh, look at this!" You know, it, 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 normally from there, getting off that ramp from there, it's another fifteen minutes to move two, three blocks. But there's nobody around the arena, so uh, we're kind of lucky uh, in that sense. We are. Don't worry. Right, well, you just told you just told the guys where I parked to put it back to event rate. So I'm not even. No, tell no. But you. you didn't. Well, we didn't give the locations to either. So no. you're gonna have to text me where you're parking. I got to figure that out. Otherwise, the the bosses are gonna go nuts on me here. All right. Uh, when we continue on Smith and Jones, our weekly chat 
Alvin Williams Wednesdays. Uh, Al will join us next. Also later on in the show, we'll talk more about the Raptors and Bucks as we get set for tip-off tonight. Raptors on the second night of the back-to-back, looking to pull off a, a tough win in enemy territory and maybe get above 500. All that and more as we continue on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Paul Jones, Eric Smith with you. Please subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast, rate and review as well. Joining us on the line right now for his regular segment, his weekly visit, Alvin Williams Wednesdays with, of course, Alvin Williams. Al, how are you doing today? What's up, guys? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Al. Happy New Year, man. Uh, Eric and I have been uh, talking a lot about playing with no fans in the stands and it's 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 a different attitude than you need the the the, we said this about the bubble you need the kind of well i'm just balling in the schoolyard kind of attitude line on the blacktop (laughs) but at the same time al you know that you feed off the energy of the crowd at home uh it 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 can be intimidating it can fuel you but it can be intimidating on the road and that crowd noise impacts all kinds of other stuff as we talked about Decisions by opposing coaches when the building is going wild. Referees when they're getting booed, especially in other places. Toronto, not so much because our fans are so nice sometimes. I mean, they're, they're into it. But, like, you go to a place like Philly or or Detroit back in the day and those fans are on the officials, you know they're making calls to, to, to ease the tension. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It's a, it's a different dynamic when you're playing, especially in front of different audience and crowds. But... I think the biggest thing for the players, you know, you work your whole life to, to play in the NBA and being on that stage is one of the biggest things that you, that's the, that's the biggest, one of the biggest rewards, get a chance to showcase what you can do. And I can only imagine how disappointing it is, you know, not to have that environment. But at the same time, you look, you look at the Raptors and you look at how they've been playing, it's a different focus there. And it's, you're not relying on the crowd. You're not relying on anything to build you up. You have to generate that yourself. And the Raptors have been doing a great job of doing that. And I think the other teams are struggling. Now the Raptors have, you know, a little momentum when it comes to having that being comfortable enough because they've, they've had a few games. Other players and other teams aren't in that predicament. So I think they have to find a way to pick up their energy. But the Raptors are doing a good job of being disciplined and mature enough and professional enough to handle their business. Al, bear with me on a long-winded question for a second here. Um, right. I feel you're 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 uniquely uh, qualified or overqualified to answer this question because you've been there as a player, you've been there as a coach, you've been there in the management team, you're there as a broadcaster now, and as you tweeted out, and I hope you're doing well. You sound good. You tweeted out last week that you've dealt with COVID now yourself, and I hope you're feeling good and healthy and everything else. In the long run. Good, good, good. In the long run, we hope that this only ends up being a couple of weeks, a month at most, where the Raptors are uh, playing in front of no fans. Does this have an impact on what guys are talking about inside or outside of the locker room or around the league? Because I'm going to imagine that no matter what you believe or don't believe about COVID, you probably just want to ignore that and say, man, I want fans, and why is this different, and why are we the only market? We're the only one of 30 teams. At what point does that have an impact on, you know, 
players and how they view something we've been talking about for 25 plus years now, whether it's taxes and weather and the border and customs. And now it's like, oh, how they dealt with the pandemic. And if this stuff ever happens again or continues to rage on, do I want to deal with you know, not playing in front of fans or harsher restrictions or whatever else? Or are some taking a more balanced approach saying, hey, maybe we should be doing more of that in the States or maybe they are getting it right. How do you think guys are looking at this right now? I don't, you know, I don't think they are looking at it right now because, you know, last year everyone had that same, you know, predicament. They were in the same predicament with their crowd and everything. I think it's an understanding. There's a sensitivity that, you know, there's different approaches now. And whether it's, whether it is getting vaccinated, whether it is, you know, limiting the, the capacity, all those things, this is, this is, these are different times now. So I don't think it would be something that could, you know, hurt the reputation or how people view Toronto. You can't please everyone, but I do believe what Toronto is doing and what the country is doing is bringing notice more so than just basketball. And I I feel like the players in our generation and this generation now, it's not just about basketball. It's social issues. It's health issues. it's it's, It's everything. So the athlete is totally different. It's not just about going somewhere, playing basketball, and playing for organization for basketball. There's finances, there's tradition, there's opportunity. And Toronto's been showing that over and over through these past years. And just look at the players that played here. You know, you have a Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, Kawhi Leonard. These people of such in the recent, you know, times, they they have great reputations. They have great careers that people can look upon that and say they had that in Toronto. So I don't think it's a negative about what's going on now. I just think it's another opportunity for Toronto to be ahead of the curve and Canada to be ahead of the curve where people can use it as an example, and that may be a good thing. Yeah, it, I, it, Al, it's interesting. And Eric and I, Eric is, you know, it's it's his line I'm going to steal. There's There's got to be a maybe a happy medium. Uh, the fact that we have, you know, I counted 63 people yesterday in the stands. And tonight in Toronto, with everybody wearing a mask, sitting apart from one another, except, you know, if they're family or whatever, right beside each other. And then tonight they're going to go to the home of the defending NBA champions and it'll be a packed house, no masks, people going crazy in there. Uh, It just, I mean, does the NBA wonder, does that put our players at risk? Uh, Does it, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's got to be something in between and, and we're not, we're not scientists. We don't make the rules, but just common sense says, you know, half capacity, it, it seems like it's it's all or none right now, and that's the hard thing, and it's the hard thing for the players, too. Yeah, no, it, it is hard. It, it's hard, and like you said, we're not scientists. We, we don't know the exact study behind it. We don't know what the exact approach is supposed to be. I mean, we've heard Adam Silver say, you know, at some point this is something that we're going to have to learn how to live with it, and I think these are all cases where they're trying to figure things out. And bottom line, once again, it's the economy. It's the bottom line, right? It's what, yeah. How we, can we still sustain and how can we, you know, go above that and continue to make money and still, you know, put that product out there on the floor? And unfortunately, when you see some of their approaches, it lets you know that the health of the players are not the top priority, especially when you can go into another league and bring players up for 10 days or two weeks or whatever the case may be to fill that void. So I think that was a band-aid, but at the end of the day, it's one of those things where you see the health 
that should be the top priority, it lets you know that it's it's not really the top priority for the NBA and for the business. Speaking with Alvin Williams as the Raptors get set for the Bucks tonight in Milwaukee, second night of the back-to-back uh, for the Raptors. So moving back onto the court with the actual X's and O's then, Al, uh, a chance to get above 500 for the Raptors tonight. Not going to be easy against Milwaukee. Bucks certainly playing well of late. The Raptors, though, starting to come together. Outside of now, Sfi Mihailuk and Utah Watanabe in the health and safety protocols, you've got your main core. Uh, you've got some production that's starting to come off the bench in the likes of Chris Boucher and Justin Champagne, but your top guys... Freddie, Pascal, Trent, Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, all of them have been playing some solid ball of late with Fred Al being right at the top of that list. I mean, he is playing some of the best ball of his career over the last week. Yeah, he's playing he's playing out of his mind, you know, being efficient, being aggressive. But, you know, I mean, that the numbers are sticking out to you. But I will say, man, I – I got to tip my hat to Pascal Siakam. You know, he, he's faced a lot of criticism and, you know, people wondering if he's the guy. But he's a guy who's sacrificing a lot. He's, he's, playing, he's playing the center position a lot of times. His rebounds going up. He's playmaking. He's scoring. His game, to me, out of everyone's, is taking, another, taking a jump because he's playing in a way that I think we know he could play. I'm seeing him run the floor, getting easy buckets, running and playing off of the ball. And once again, he's doing the other things. He's assisting. He's doing everything that you can ask him to do right now. And he's staying out of foul trouble, which is was a big part of his game yeah. as well. So I think what he's doing, along with the mixture of the other guys, and Freddie, no doubt. You know, but Freddie's been consistent all year, what he's been doing. He's playing very at a high level right now again. But I really think Pascal Siakam is the guy that you can look at and he's really making things go on that basketball. The team has went small, and he's been doing a very good job doing the other things. Al, last night, uh, Eric and I took note of, and, and this is you know, the philosophy that the Raptors have kind of adapted. You know, We have people on Twitter saying to us, well, you know, if they ever had a proper center, and, and, and in, this, in this copycat league that the NBA is, some people want to do... Well, let's do what they do because it works for them. Well, yeah, but you know everybody wants to shoot the threes, but not everybody has Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Uh, it, so it, it sometimes you 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 go you roll with your own innovations. And I look at the Raptors opting right now for length and and quickness. Uh, you know, mobile, agile, quote bigs unquote or midsize bigs. And the Raptors started the second quarter with Scotty Barnes, OG. Precious Achua, Pascal Siakam, and Chris Boucher on the floor. And mm-hmm. five, five guys all between like 6'8 and 6'10. And it, the, the point guard, the initiating the offense duties, left to Barnes and Siakam. Just your comment on that, trying to do something that's different because it just looked to me like San Antonio had a tough time with it. The other night, the Clippers had a tough time with it. New York did. It's five guys on the floor the same. It's the ultimate to me, Al. It's five basketball players, five guys that can handle the ball, defend on the perimeter. They can do everything that we used to look at a 6'1 guy doing, except now they're all 6'8", 6'9", 6'10". <laughs> exactly. And and that's, that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. And you're not relying on You say that lineup and it's like, all right, but there's no shooters out there. You mentioned it. We got hoopers out there. We got guys yeah. that can play multiple 
positions on defense. We got guys that can get their own shot. We got we got a combination of people that can fulfill different roles and responsibilities. And is that the lineup you want to play for 48 minutes? Probably not. But for that that moment and for the junction of the game, that's something that that's very effective when you have that size. And one thing that can make that go, you have a Scotty Barnes who can play the point, who's a great facilitator, who can handle the ball at that size. Then you have your scorer in Pascal. You have your scorer in OG. You have a hustle guy in Champagny who is a great offensive rebounder at his position, right? And then you have Chris Boucher who can knock down a three, but he's being effective being around the basket and bringing that energy. So that's an energetic team that can hold it down and really create some momentum for any lineup that you put out there from the opposing side. You know, one of the things that's really stood out with this team when they're healthy, Al, as well, is the way that they are dialed in defensively. And and a team that I don't think takes a lot of chances or a lot of risks, they get in their stance, they guard their man, and they take calculated uh, opportunities, whether they're going for the ball, jumping into pass lanes, especially OG and and, and Gary Trent uh, at the top of that list. But they just seem like they are on on a string right now, on a rope defensively, helping each other out. They've got that shell game moving on the defensive end. And their defense, their their execution has been as impressive as what we've seen on the offensive end. Yeah, and what you just said right there, e, on that string, when you, when you when you can look at a team and you can say those words, they're on a string. That means they're next level. That means they're communicating. That means they know exactly what their roles are. That means they're working for one another. They're helping the helpers, and that's one of the terminologies that you know when we were young and playing, you want to yeah. be on a string. And, and that's what you just mentioned. So when you can identify that and you can see that, that means your defense is coming together. And, it, and all, all defense is, is wanting to do it, wanting to do it and not getting, you know, captivated with your own offense or getting your own, getting your own way. It has to be a team effort, but individually you have to want to do it. And I believe now the Raptors finally with their lineup, and that chemistry there and everyone, you know, feeling comfortable enough with their with themselves, they're really committing to playing good defense and the next level defense. Early on, we saw a lot of deflections. We saw a lot of steals. We saw the length. We saw all of those things. But the defense wasn't on the next level because the positioning wasn't there, which goes back into your point, a being on a string, being in position, getting the deflections as well, but being in position and being on that string, that's when you have a great defensive team. And that's why the Raptors are playing more consistent basketball. Uh, look, Al, I mean, we, we've watched it, and, and the last few games especially, they have been. They have really, really um, – they have really, really been communicating. And, you know, you mentioned a guy like Chris Boucher who was, who, let's face it, he was struggling earlier on. And it seems like he simplified things and stripped it down and gone back to some of the basics that made him successful, playing with energy, running the floor, not just looking for three-point shooting, blocking shots. I mean, we saw him yesterday, some really solid one-on-one individual defensive stands against guys, getting misses, deflecting shots. Uh, you know, challenging shots, getting rebounds. Uh, you know, a guy like that, uh, uh, comment on his play over the last little while because I think he's really turned it around. No, I love it. I love, and you, you mentioned it, he he said, probably talked to himself, talked to the coaches, and the coaches let him know how he can still be valuable and how he can still bring the value to the team. 
and not relying on that three-point shot. I remember the first time really laying my eyes on him and watching him was in the bubble, and I was loving his energy. I love whenever he got put in the game, he was contesting at the rim. He was battling. He was going up, getting offense. He was, he was, he was energetic. And then the following year in Tampa, this guy's making these threes. I'm like, wow, man, I never, I never knew he could shoot like that. And he was, he was shooting the ball very well in the bubble. But, you know, shooting can come and go, you know, yeah. no matter who you are, it can come and go. But I'm so thrilled the fact that he went back into that guy that was the bubble guy, right? That, and not just to put him in, you know, just put him in handcuffs and say, this is you and you can't grow to be anything else. That's not the case at all. But he has a strength that the Raptors need desperately, and it's that energy. It's that length at the rim. It's those offensive rebounds. It's being around the rim, picking and rolling, getting lobs, getting put-back dunks, things that he didn't do early in the season. So for him to identify that and shift into that, and, you know, if you remember, it came. all of this came after a game that he didn't play at all. It was right. a game at home that he didn't play at all. And the next day, or whatever the case may be, he was inserted into the lineup and he played his butt off. So he showed being a professional. And I think it goes into Nick Nurse again, man. I've watched what Serge Ibaka did when Marcus Gasol was traded there. These guys sacrificed. These guys put up for the team. And I see it once again. I see a lot of players putting the team first and putting themselves second and getting, getting, having the understanding of how they can bring value to the team to win. And you see it. The wins are starting to come more at a consistent, at a consistent pace. So I love what he's doing. How rare is that, Al? It's very rare. It, it, it's rare. It's rare because, you know, you for good teams, it's, it's a process, but it, it comes. That's why their teams are good. But you think about it, how many good teams are there? And there's more bad teams that are good teams. So you have the bad teams. So it's very rare, when you, especially when you have a young player and they see themselves of becoming one thing and they have some success doing another thing and then really finding themselves what they have to do for the team. So it's a managing process, but once again, it's it's that individual person. So you have to give you you have to give props to Chris Boucher, and you have to give props to the team for having him believe in it. But more, once again, you gotta give the team, the guy, the, the individual, the props for him to say, you know, let me step back, let me check myself, and this three ball is not going. I'm not going to lose confidence in it. I'm gonna shoot it when my opportunity, but I'm gonna do other things, and that's what we're always taught. Do the other things. Do the little things to help the team and your game will come around individually, and it has been. Hey, hey Al, I want to I want to j- kind of jump off the Raptors here. We're almost we're almost done with you. We're we're running out of time, but hey, man, um, this thing goes by fast. I know, man. <laughs> hey, look, we're we're gonna have to make it a uh, put another W in there. Uh, uh, Alvin Williams Hole Wednesday, where you just come for the hour, man, and we got you for the yes, hour. You, yes, we, we make. We make you a, we make you an, an honorary uh, a Wednesday co-host or something like that. But Al, we were talking about winning, and how it impacts perceptions in terms of awards. We were specifically talking about Fred and All Star, and then looking at some of the other guys. And and uh, the comparison that jumped to me was a a Trey Young, who's who's playing well, but his team's four games below 500, maybe not meeting expectations, and that's going to impact him in my eyes in terms of his his all-star status, at least a little bit. And then I want to go to the other end too, Al. DeMar DeRozan, nobody's talking about him for MVP. The Bulls are at the top of the heap in the East. And all these guys, that they're, other guys that they're talking about, no matter where they are in the East, they're behind DeMar and his team. And why 
the voters, I, I don't know what it is, why the voters have these perceptions, especially now, the way the, 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 the league and the world is, is changing with awards. I mean, you're voting for, people want to vote for a guy whose team is in sixth or seventh. Oh, look at his numbers. Hey, man, if his numbers were that good and he, and he was that good, his team wouldn't be in sixth or seventh. You're 100% right, man. And it's the unfortunate thing when it comes to pro sports that it's a lot of times it's based on reputation. It's based on your celebrity. When these awards get passed out, these accolades are given. And the part of earning it year after year, game to game, is not there. It's just if, if you look at the, basic of, the basics of basketball, basketball, as I tell the young kids, you don't have to earn. You don't. It's guys that will start every game of the year and practice three damn times, right? You don't have. To, you know, back in the day, you, you got your you got your minutes through practice. You got your minutes through practice. It's guys that you don't have to go out there and practice your butt off and do well in practice and execute in practice in order to earn your minutes. Those minutes are set for your top nine guys. You know, those all star spots are already given to the top players and it may be a surprise depending on their record depending on somebody have a breakout year freddie's not coming in with the reputation of being an all-star kyle lowry may get an all-star nod before him because of his reputation and the past all-star games and everything like that so unfortunately enough it comes down to the name and not always the game and if you do have one of those seasons where your team is doing very well and you're the man of the team you'll you'll get that nod and but it's that one time. I remember Jameer Nelson. You know, Orlando Magic was having great seasons, and he was the yeah. starting point guard for that team. And he got the one all-star bid because he was the best point guard, the starting point guard on a great team. But he had other great years when Orlando Magic wasn't that good, but he never got that opportunity. But he was still, you know, competing with that. So it's the unfortunate thing. DeMar DeRozan, the same thing. He's not coming into this space with a LeBron James, Steph Curry, a Giannis, a KD. So no matter if he's outplaying those guys, his team is better than them, he's not going to get that nod. They already start putting the names out there for MVPs around this time. And those names are going to be consistent across the board until it's time to make a selection. And unfortunately, DeMar DeRozan may not get that nod. I would love for him to do it, but it's about those names and not necessarily the game. Al, we appreciate the time as always, man. Uh, look forward to seeing you again soon, hopefully. Fingers crossed and uh, continued health. We'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you, guys. Always a pleasure talking to you. All right, Al. There is Alvin Williams. Alvin Williams Wednesdays right here on Smith & Jones. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. Back with more in a moment. Back on Smith and Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Justin Termini from NBA Radio is going to join us in a few minutes' time. Also later on this hour, we'll talk more about the Raptors and Bucks coming up tonight and take a look at the National Football League and specifically uh, the race for the MVP and some controversy surrounding the MVP with at least one notable longtime NFL writer and MVP voter who is saying that, well, he's not going to cast a ballot for Aaron Rodgers, even if Aaron Rodgers was going to be his choice, because he just doesn't like Aaron Rodgers and what Aaron Rodgers stands for. And it brings into question, perhaps, whether you should allow personality um, and like and dislike of a person to creep into uh, your voting standards and what you might ultimately stand for when you're casting said ballot for uh, a postseason award for a Hall of Fame, etc. But, Jonesy, before we get into all that, have you been 
following or have you kept an eye on what's happening with Novak Djokovic? Because yes. it's a developing story that has now taken yet another turn in the last yes. hour or so. So he was initially, yesterday, granted uh, a medical exemption to enter Australia so that he could thus compete in and play in the Australian Open. And he is a well-known anti-vaxxer. And Australia, much like Canada, maybe even more so than Canada, has been extremely tight and locking it down since the start of COVID. Some are calling them draconian-type rules and, and legislation and regulations and whatnot. Others say they're doing it the right way and they're proving how it can be done and how you can try and navigate through the pandemic. Whatever side you fall on, the fact is very few people are getting into that country, and there was massive, massive backlash from the community and from Australians when Djokovic was granted this exemption. Well, now comes the news that he was denied entry into Australia after a mix-up with his visa. So apparently, and again, you got to factor in the time change. When I say this afternoon, this was like an hour ago. I'm reading uh, some of the tweets that come out. This afternoon, uh, Djokovic was unable to proceed through passport control after a member of his support team made a critical mistake in requesting a subclass of visa that does not apply to those who've received medical exemptions from a COVID-19 vaccine. So given permission to enter, given permission to play, he hops on a flight, flies to Australia, and then finds out when he gets there, nope, sorry, he can't come in. Maybe that's the best punchline of the story, but it's going to be interesting, to say the least, how this unfolds if it truly stands that he cannot get in and ultimately does not play. And I did a little digging here. According to uh, a story that was put out by Nine News in Australia, in order to get that exemption in the first place, Djokovic would have had to prove to an independent uh, arbitrator or a committee uh, that he had one of three things, either a previous adverse reaction to the vaccine. Well, he didn't get the vaccine. Uh, anaphylaxis or myocarditis or a COVID positive test in the past six months, which is very likely. In fact, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he did test positive after that makeshift uh, tennis tournament that he put together early in COVID, but granted that would have also been more than six months ago. But right. what a bizarre right. and wild story uh, with no- Novak Djokovic, the 20-time Grand Slam champ, and you know a guy who's been a fan favorite for a long time, who is becoming, um, well, public enemy number one for a lot of people. I'm even seeing Novak Djokovic. <laughs> is uh, is the handle that people are starting to call him uh, in some of the circles on social media? Well, uh, isn't that kind of like, and and he only needs what he only needs one more Grand Slam to be the all time leader in 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 Grand Slam championships. And like, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he really close to like sweeping the whole thing? Yep. Uh, yep. Recently, and yep. and and I look at it and. Uh, it's kind of it makes me smile it makes me laugh it's like i know you're you're a big sopranos guy and and you you love the mob movies eric it's like well we don't get the guy for organized crime we get him for tax evasion (laughs) like like, get him on a technicality yeah yeah no you can't get oh yeah yeah you got your exemption fine you can come in oh but dude you got the wrong visa um (laughs) so so 
they get you one way or the other. So, um, yeah, that is. And again, it's what we were talking about with Alvin, what you and I have talked about. People drawing people drawing lines in the sand over, you know, the COVID-19 and the vaccine. And, you know, our next guest, Justin, Justin Termini, I'd love to hear his thoughts because I know he's been outspoken at times. But the whole Kyrie Irving situation, like, you know, if you're the Nets and you're in the playoffs, and Kyrie can't play in New York because of the vaccination order and, and, and the laws around there, do you secede game seven and say, okay, we'll play game seven on the road because I want, I want Kyrie in the lineup. I mean, it's, it's the way the rules are and the way people are interpreting these things and, and looking at what's going on in our world now just adds another layer of, of complication to everything. Well, Jonesy, why don't, why don't you bring him into the conversation then? He's, he's joining us right now, the uh, host of NBA Today on Sirius XM Radio, Justin Termini. And I'll, I'll throw it back over to you then, Jonesy, seeing as you brought up the topic and, and brought up Justin's, uh, you know, perhaps stance on, on, on said topic. Go ahead. Well, well, Justin, Eric and I know it because we listen. Thanks for joining us, man. What, give, give our listeners here in Canada who get, don't get a chance to hear you regularly kind of your stance on the whole Kyrie Irving, the vaccination and 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 the nets and how they're going about this yeah i don't get too involved in like, as far as the vaccine like he should get it and so anti his stance because i think if it was just a messenger say if it was like love it if it was steph curry i'd probably take what they're saying a little bit more seriously because they haven't tarnished their their reputation throughout the history of you know just around hey justin justin i'm gonna cut you off for one second i'm gonna jump in i want to make sure we hear what you're saying and i think we've got a bad connection so we're gonna get lance uh, to give you a buzz back, and and we'll 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 re-ask the question, or we'll just tee you up again, because I definitely want to make sure that we uh we hear what you're talking about, especially on such a uh, hotly debated, contested topic, and and one that's obviously important to a lot of folks. Uh, and just you know, Justin and, and and Jonesy, you bring up the the something I never even thought of. I'm assuming rules would preclude this from happening, but let me play your little fantasy what if scenario here. Could you actually? In a seven-game series, if you had Game Seven on your home floor, could you actually say, "No, uh, Toronto, we're giving you Game Seven because we want Kyrie"? To, like, could, could you actually do that? I don't, I don't know. We'd have to check with. I don't think so. We'd have to check with the NBA Poobas. You know, and uh, that would be something. Eric, I've always been a fan of. If you have home court advantage, you should be able to set up the seven games any way you wanted, as long as you didn't have three in a row at home. Like I might, I, seriously, I would take, I would take one on the road, two, three at home, four on the road, five, six at home. And if I, if I'm the higher seed and I haven't knocked that guy off in six games with four of them at my place, then you, you take what you, you get in, in terms of game seven, whether you win or lose. So uh, I don't know if you can do that though. I, I'm not sure you could do that. I can't imagine you could because then the, the, the counter could be, again, I'm just using the Raptors as an, an example, saying, no, 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 hold on a second. We believe in ourselves and we, we're confident in our team and we can beat you either way. And, yeah, we'd love to make the money and have the home court. But you know what? No, 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 no. You know what? If it's that important to you, 
we'll, we'll call your bluff then and make you play at home and make you play without Kyrie Irving then. So I can't imagine that you would have the arbitrary ability to just go, oh, we're going to give up this date and give it to you. I, I cannot imagine that would be able to uh, be allowed in the NBA rules. But but again, we bring Justin Termini back into the conversation. Justin, I'll just kind of you know throw you the softball of, of saying, you know, we, we, we got you like five words into your answer before the gremlins started creeping in, but talking about Kyrie and the Vax situation and everything going on. So I'll just throw it back over to you. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest issue that I have is just his past, right? I mean, if I think I would take it more seriously, the stance that he's got, if it was Steph Curry, if it was Damian Lillard, maybe if it was like Kyle Lowry, if you guys have had up there for years, uh, because you have to respect the guy's opinion that hasn't tarnished his, his reputation. Here's a guy that's, you know, crying. It's almost like the boy that cried wolf. He's got an issue with everything. The earth is my eyes. teammates in the middle of the postseason where he's been talking to him in Cleveland for three weeks. He's in Boston. He's not supporting his teammates on the bench for game seven. He, his first year in Brooklyn, he plays just 20 games, and then he's like, well, we got to make changes here in one of the 20 games that he played, where I think he had worse plus minus on the entire team. Like, it's one thing after another with Kyrie Irving. I just think he's a massive distraction. Uh, and like you guys were, were talking about with, like, do you purposely lose so you set up a game seven where he can play on the road? I don't think you can do that because you're not confident he's going to be out there. Okay, if it's LeBron James, if it's Giannis, if it's a guy that they have, Carl Malone, who for years never missed any games, uh, then fine, maybe you think about doing something like that. But what's to say Harry Irving's even going to be healthy once we get to the postseason? Because every single year, like the, the two stories of Kyrie's career, I'll say three. Like he hit the big shot in Cleveland. Okay, that's a, that's an important part of his legacy. But the other two are being a distraction to his teammates, which I just laid out. And then the third one is he's never healthy. So you're going to plan to have him in a game seven on the road. And then is he even going to play? It's a, it's a, it's a great question. Yeah, That's a great question, Justin. And let, let me ask you this as well. And I know that this is kind of a, a, you know an older story. They've already you know dealt with it, explained themselves. It's maybe a couple of weeks old. But if you could go back in time, Justin, do you think the Nets would do things differently? Because and the reason I bring that up is yes, they've lost three in a row right now. They've fallen to the two seed, but they're only two back of the Bulls. They're still one of the best teams in the conferences in the conference. Excuse me, in in the league, they've navigated through the COVID craziness, the health and safety protocols, and they're still standing right there among the best of the best. And I'm paraphrasing some of their explanations, but hey, instead of signing emergency 10 days and whatnot, we're, we're going to allow this guy to play in the road games. He's still not going to be with us at home. Why didn't they just keep their, their heels dug in and keep doing the right thing as opposed to kind of giving in 30-odd games into the season and saying, all right, fine, yeah, you know what, fine, you can play road games now. Like, what? Like, do you think they could have or should have or would have gone back and done things differently now or no? Well, I, I mean, I think it all comes down to Kevin Garnett, uh, Kevin uh, Durant, and, uh, and James Harden, right? It's what they want. I'm sure that you know Joe Sai, who came out so vociferously as you know a pro vaccine guy, we're not going to you know it's either full time or it's no time. Same thing with Sean Marks. It makes Sean Marks look like the power was undercut from him. Like I'm sure they would have uh, preferred to continue going this route, but it came down to. Either or both of Durant and and James Harden making that demand, whether it's just because of the burden of the minutes and the workload, or they just you know wanted their buddy back, uh, whatever the case may be. I think it's just about those two guys saying what they wanted because ultimately, like the Nets have given in to Kevin Durant in the past because I don't even think from what I heard they wanted to sign Kyrie Irving. The only reason he's in Brooklyn is because Durant insisted that he was there if he was going to go play there. So. Like, it's, it's the second time, really, that Durant, I think, has, you know, made a demand where the team had to acquiesce when it came to career. Justin, how much do you think, um, when you talk about Kevin Durant, having been close to championships and not won, 
until he went to Golden State with a really good team, observing their culture, their chemistry, and how they do things, he kind of took that blueprint with him. The same way LeBron took the blueprint from Riley yeah. when he was in Miami back to Cleveland with him. Like maybe Durant is saying, look, we need him. We need to start playing together. If we're ultimately going to get to the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, we've got to have some rain before we get there. We, we've got to get through the storm before we get there. And you know what? Let's bring them back so we can start that process. Yeah, I, I agree with that because, like, let's say they've, like, lifted this vaccine uh, mandate that they have in New York right before the postseason started. Or, like, let's say that, uh, you know, Kyrie decided to get vaccinated, like, in in March or, or April before the postseason. Like, I still don't think that's good enough. you got to get some reps in. And Eddie Johnson and myself, my co-host from last year, we disagree on a lot. But one thing we agreed on last year is, like, heading into the postseason, I think they only played seven games together. Like, that wasn't going to cut it. You can't As good as they are, as talented as they are, you got to have some reps in order to, like, you look at the teams that have won in the past. Like, the, I think the one team that comes to mind that, like, won right away was that Celtics team with KG and Ray Allen and Paul Pierce. Well, they took the regular season seriously. Those guys didn't miss games. Uh, even LeBron in his first year in, in Miami, they didn't win, uh, and they took it seriously. But you got to play games together. You just can't throw three talented guys together and expect them to win basketball games. I think continuity is a is a big reason why you you have success. So yeah, I think that that uh, Durant sees that, or at least he should. That you got to get some reps in the regular season before you head into the postseason. Speaking with Justin Termini, host of NBA Today on Sirius XM Radio, four p.m. to seven p.m. Uh, if you're tuning in on Sirius XM Radio. Justin, speaking of then the, the cohesion, the chemistry, trying to build something together, we're approaching the midway point of the season right now. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess the obvious answer is, is Golden State and Phoenix, but looking at the entire league, not just one conference, is there a team to you that is starting to separate you know, themselves from, from the rest of the group? Is there, do you have a team or two that you're saying, yes, definitively, NBA championship right there. That's that's my number one pick, or that's my you know those are my two couple of picks, or is it still kind of an open race in your mind? Yeah, I mean I think it's an open race, and like every year in the NBA, it's not like the NFL. I mean I think you can list like five teams that have an opportunity, and maybe Toronto a couple of years ago when you guys won was one of the teams that surprised. But like typically every single year, you can give a list of five teams, and it's going to be one of those five teams. I will say the teams that like now you legitimately have to maybe take serious, like Chicago. Uh, I still would favor Brooklyn or Milwaukee to come out of the Eastern Conference, but I'm not going to say Chicago can't with the way that they've played, and they've, they've beaten good teams along the way. And then Memphis, every time you throw Memphis in front of a team that's uh, that's really good and, and you expect to see you know deep into the postseason, uh, they win. I mean, they beat Brooklyn the other day. They uh, they beat Cleveland, which is a nice win on the road. Uh, so, uh, you know, the Lakers, the Lakers are playing great, but it's still a bit Suns on the road yet. I think they've won six, six straight, and those are amongst their wins. So I would say, like, I'm, I'm starting to take them seriously as a team that could maybe get to the conference finals. Uh, Justin, give me your take on Miami. Uh, you just mentioned something really interesting there about putting a team together and taking the regular season seriously. You know that, you know, Heat culture, uh, Pat Riley, Eric Spolster, yeah. they will take it seriously because they do want to build. But uh, you, you know, Miami's kind of middle of the pack right now. They're 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 playing well. I, I wonder what people uh, have their play, uh, judging, gauging their play with regard to expectations. But give me your take on the Heat right now, and and where you think they could be uh, when when the dust settles. 
Yeah, I'm often like critical of the Heat poll just because uh, I think they have an unfair advantage in where they're located. For example, Kawhi Leonard doesn't leave Toronto if Toronto a couple of years ago when they win a championship if they're located in the South Beach, like he stays there, right? So right. I think they've got like a tremendous built-in advantage. But that's not to say that Eric Spolster is not a great head coach and Eric uh, and, uh, and Pat Riley is not a great executive because they still do the small things. And like an example of that is this Omar Yurt seven uh, who uh, has been fantastic. I think over the last like 12, 15 games. I mean, he's an undrafted rookie out of Turkey. Uh, and I thought that they would suffer a, a huge a setback when they lost Bam Adebayo just because he's like the one big on their roster. And then you take a, a you know, you take a big step down to, to your seven who's got no experience. He's been fantastic. I don't know if, you, if you've seen what he's done the last 12 mm-hmm, or 15 mm-hmm. games and filling in for Bam, but Bam's missed 20 games. Jimmy Butler's always hurt and he's hurt again this year. And I think he's hurt again right now with his ankle, although it's not serious. Like, those guys have missed a ton of time, and they're still, what, the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference? So I think they've done a tremendous job this year. You know, a team we were discussing a little bit earlier in the show, and, and again, it's the halfway point. There's a lot, and we're not even at the halfway point. There's still a lot of time to go here, Justin. Uh, I'm intrigued, and I think Jonesy might be a little bit too, by the Atlanta Hawks. Um, 16 and 20. Trey Young's still putting up great numbers, you know, after he fights his way through the COVID protocols and whatnot. But at the same time, Four games below 500, a team that was knocking on the door of maybe putting together a special run last year, let alone maybe they're thinking they've turned a corner. Is this, Justin, to you, maybe a case of a team that, that got that taste and the expectations were raised and now they're not living up to them and, and they weren't quite ready yet? Or is this a team that you could see going on a run and climbing the standings again and vaulting themselves up into the top five, top six? Yeah, I mean, even if they went on a run, they're so far back that uh, I'm not sure how much, you know, are they going to get into the top six? I don't think that they're capable of doing that. Now, now, again, they did it last year where they were outside of the postseason. They made the change with uh, with Lloyd Pierce and went with Nate McMillan. They look like a completely different team. I think they went like uh, 27-11 down the stretch of the regular season all the way to the conference finals. But it's been perplexing just because you thought, okay, last year they did all this for the most part without, uh, without Cam Reddish, for example. They put him back into the mix Get a full training camp. They've got the confidence of what they've done last year. John Collins is no longer fighting for the contract. I was looking to put up big numbers. Like Trey Young is got the experience so like it was shocking to see them take a step back this uh, and i think they pinned it on the defense uh because that was you know was horrible under lloyd pierce nate mcmillan takes oh, they take a big step forward uh and now it's back to where it was pre nate mcmillan i think a big reason that is compelled who last year i had on my third team all nba i think gobert and mb both in center uh both uh both on my second team one is a fourth one is a center so i slipped clint in there as uh the third team all nba he signed a contract in the offseason. I think he's been a massive disappointment. But as good as Trey Young is, they're not. And he's been awesome. He's been fantastic. He might deserve the All Star game, despite the team stinking. But if they don't improve their defense, they're not going anywhere. Justin, you brought up a great point. Eric and I were talking about this before. Trey Young having a great year, but his team is four games below 500. They're below the line for the playoff play-in tournament. Um, the Hawks, after getting as far as they did last year, advancing as far as they did, they have expectations now. Uh, he, he may not get in for, with fan voting, but if you're a coach, uh, do you give Trey Young a nod? I mean, he's got a reputation as, as a good player. He's been an all-star before. But do you give Trey Young a nod with his team 16-20 and 20 over uh, uh, a Fred Van Vliet, a LaMelo Ball, a, a Darius Garland? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? And, and how winning, because I know you're a winning guy, how winning impacts uh, what we do with awards. 
Yeah, another guy is like Zach Levine, right? And then uh, it's it's weird because a couple of years ago, Devin Booker was putting up big numbers, and then he never made the All-Star team. And I right. understand it was harder in the Western Conference, but he never made the All-Star team. Then he sacrificed his numbers a little bit uh, last year, and then he didn't make the All-Star team again until he was like added as a replacement. So it's like, which one do you want? And I'm a big winner guy, Paul, as you mentioned, but I'm also a little hesitant the last couple of years to, to put as much stock into it because – for example, uh, Bradley Beal last year, I think, was second in the NBA in scoring. Okay, if Bradley Beal just, like, forced his way out of Washington and said, like, send me to L.A. or send me to, uh, you know, Brooklyn and demanded a trade, all right, well, now he's going to put up big numbers, and now he's uh, now he's going to be on a winning team. So it almost incentivizes, when you judge everything off winning, for these guys to force their way out of the smaller markets and go to the bigger markets so then – They'll be taken seriously for some of these awards. So I don't put as much stock into it this year, uh, the last couple of years, as I used to because of all the team hopping. And I, uh, so that's one issue I have with it. But I'd probably give Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan the edge uh, in the Eastern Conference as my two starters. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, again, is another guy that's deserving. I think he's the best player on the Raptors this season. And they've shocked everybody because I think most people had him on the outside of the postseason looking in. So I would also have no problem with Fred in the, in the mix. Speaking with Justin Termini from NBA Radio, um, it, it, it's it's interesting that you, that you bring that up in terms of the way you broke it down with just the bizarre year that we're all kind of navigating through, Justin. And, and um, you know, Jonesy and I were talking earlier in the show trying to mention some of the other names and the, at the point guard's position specifically, and we were trying to be, you know, balanced and fair about it, whether there is – I mean, listen, there is absolutely a case for Fred Van Vliet, and I think he's clearly putting up all-star numbers. He is the best player, as you said, on the Raptors. But one of the guys we, we also brought up, um, is he an all-star based on what he's doing – based on his team winning, based on the fact that he even had to be thrust into the spotlight even more so with the injury to Colin Sexton. What about Darius Garland and the Cavaliers? Yeah, I agree that uh, you know that's I think a borderline one because if I had to put somebody from that team, Jared Allen, he's done a fantastic job, and that that to me is Colby Altman's best move. Really, anybody could have had that team. I mean, I think he got him for like a second round pick. It's the fourth team involved in that, uh, you know, that James Harden and uh, 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 James Harden trade before those. So, like, Houston didn't even want him. They like gave him up for the second round pick, and I think a Milwaukee, uh, a Milwaukee first round pick, and you know, Milwaukee's going to be very good. Uh, so I, I would go Jared Allen first on that team. I would go uh, Darius Garland second. Uh, but that's the way I would order it for them. And I know the game's so they're going to want at least to meet Jared Allen, but I wouldn't argue if you put uh, Darius there either. Um, Justin, give me your take on Damian Lillard and what's going on in Portland. And, and Eric and I have talked about the fact that it, it, it's tough for Chauncey Billups. And, and I mean, we, we cited a bunch of coaches, um, NBA coaches, uh, Chauncey Billups being one of them. Um, Steven Silas being another, like they thought they were getting one thing when they, when they got into it as a coach and they, and they, they, they kind of ended up with, with, with something else. And, and, uh, but just your take on what's going on in Portland and what do you see as the future of, of, uh, Damian Lillard in Portland? Yeah, I know. I respect the hell out of Lillard for wanting to stay there and, and doing it that way because I think like we need some of those guys in the sport or else the sport collapses if everybody's going to go like, all right, well, I'll play out my rookie contract in Portland or New Orleans or Charlotte or wherever. And then as soon as that's done, I'm hopping to the Lakers, I'm going to Brooklyn, I'm going to Miami or Golden State. Like, I don't think you can have that in the sport. So I love Damian Lillard. I respect it. Before, I thought it was about, like, the team needed to do whatever they could to keep him. Now I think the tables are turned. Even if Lillard wants to stay there, I think they should trade him. 
a la what Memphis did, which turned around their organization when they got rid of Conley and Gasol. Uh, those are arguably the two best players, the most important players in that franchise's history. But they said, all right, we've got to start the rebuild process. And they were able to get Valanchunas for Gasol. Obviously, as you guys know, as Gasol helped you guys win an NBA championship in Toronto. Uh, and then, like, the Celtics are the other good example where they didn't get rid of Bird, McHale, and Parrish. And I understand it's very hard to do that at the end of that run in the early 90s. And then they went through 20 years of mediocrity because they couldn't reboot the organization. Well, Danny Ainge learned uh, from that as an executive. And then he gets rid of Paul Pierce and gets rid of Kevin Garnett, gets a big haul back, and allows him to reboot the organization. I think as much as Damian Lillard means to that organization, even if he wants to stay, I think the organization should want to move on. Hey, Justin, we always appreciate the time and the insight. Uh, we appreciate this, and uh, we'll look forward to speaking again soon. Again, folks, you can listen to Justin on uh, NBA Today on Sirius XM Radio, 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Monday to Friday. Thanks for the time, Justin. That, thanks for having me on, fellas. Talk soon. Thanks, Justin. There is Justin Termini. Um, you know, we haven't really talked about Dame and, and, and Ben Simmons in a while. It just sort of went quiet, right, Jonesy? I've got to imagine it's going to start amping up again, ramping up again in the next uh, couple of weeks as we approach the trade deadline. But it's been fairly quiet for the most part in terms of uh, rumblings for a lot of guys around the association right now. Maybe that's just because everybody's been too busy trying to deal with the health and safety protocols and signing guys to 10 days and emergency deals and whatnot and not getting into making trades at this point. But it's, it's got to at some point start heating up, I would think. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, although there are people around Philadelphia that really believe Ben Simmons will not play this year. They, they, they won't trade him. They won't get off that, that stance that, you know, he, he's not coming back here. And, well, no, Ben, we're paying you. We, we're, we're paying you millions and millions of dollars. You work for us. And they're not going to, you know, acquiesce to any of the, the, the trade demands and, and get rid of them. So it'll be interesting to see how, I don't know if a desperate, how willing people are to finally part with stuff and give in to Daryl Morey and, and sacrifice for Ben Simmons. So, um, yeah, we're, we're getting there, E. Trade deadline coming up. Um, we're getting close to silly season where we'll hear all kinds of crazy rumors. Well, in Philadelphia, certainly proving their case to Ben Simmons and his camp by saying, hey, we're four games above 500. We're the fifth seed in the East right now. You go ahead and sit out then. You know, the, the best thing for Ben Simmons would have been Philadelphia sitting down at 10 or 12 or uh, dare I even say 14, 15 and struggling. And, man, do they need me. Well, you know what? They're looking pretty darn good without you right now. So... On one hand, though, that's good for Philly. On the other hand, maybe it brings down the asking price for Ben Simmons because other teams might let go, oh, hey, Daryl Morey, apparently ain't that good because you guys are winning and playing just fine without him. So it might be blown up in their face to some extent too. Yeah, yeah. It, it, look, you put your play, your team on the floor, and there, when, when a star is out or a guy's out, it certainly means opportunity for somebody else. And that's what it's about right now. Guys in Philadelphia are taking advantage of their opportunity. They know there's going to be more responsibilities out there to be doled out uh, to, to, you know, more shots, uh, more floor time. And guys that, guys that understand are taking advantage of it.